As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. The Athletic. Is, is doing far better than um, I personally thought it was a great appointment a massive upgrade on what they've had previously and yet even I thought that the finishing top four this season would be a job uh, a job well done It's just not what you expect from a local team I think they've completely gone to be honest and it's just a case of struggling through the rest of the season With Everton seemingly on the up West Ham possibly leads a new manager Wolves Leicester, Forest on the up as well. 12th spot, Crystal Palace with 24 with 24 points. I think they're looking over their shoulders right now. Dan, the honeymoon doesn't mean you stop loving the other the other person in the relationship. That's not how it works. You know, the, the marriage continues, it's just the honeymoon's over. There are a few sort of damning statements going around about Chelsea spending right now, but for George to just say they haven't got much attacking flair. For a, for a, after spending half a billion you know it is, it is insane Hello and welcome to the Athletic Football Podcast I'm Dan Bardell and this is the Weekend Preview Coming up, we're going to get stuck into Leeds v Manchester United, the rematch. Man City get a chance to focus on the football as they take on Aston Villa plus there's the small matter of Monday night's Merseyside derby That's all to come here on the Weekend Preview. Let's start then with West Ham against Chelsea, a London derby at 12.30 on Saturday. A decent display in their draw at Newcastle and one defeat in their last six in all competitions. Tim, have West Ham turned a corner? Not sure. Not sure just yet, to be honest. Um, It's still only one win in the league since October. That was against Everton. A shambolic Everton right at the end of the Lampard uh, era. There have definitely been signs of improvement. Uh, I was reading an instant piece this morning about 
Paqueta's different role, which is helping mm. bring a bit more out of him. It's kind of gone under the radar. What a disappointment he's been, really. You know, maybe that's a bit harsh because adaptation period can can be can be quite difficult, as we know, for players coming to the Premier League. But um, he's certainly not contributed as much as David Moyes wanted from him. So they've moved him into a slightly deeper role, and him and Declan Rice have looked pretty effective next to each other in in, in the past few weeks. So um, which they've needed because Suchek's form has completely gone through the floor this season. Yeah. So that's an important thing for West Ham. But yeah. A really decent performance and result at Newcastle last week, but in terms of turning the corner, I wouldn't go. I wouldn't go that hard to yet. Mostly because goal scoring, or rather, identity of their goal scorers is still an ongoing issue that hasn't really been resolved. Yeah, Steve. Just mentioning Suchet there and Sufal as well. They were both a big part of when West Ham were really good, pushing towards the top six. I had excellent seasons, European campaigns as well. Both of them seem to have fell off a little bit at the same time. Yeah, I think Sufal's a little bit better recently, but. But definitely, uh, Suchek seems to have come to the. Uh, well, it feels like he's 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 come to the end of his West Ham career, and he's only twenty seven. I, I, for some reason, I had my mind he was he's like early thirties, you know. But it's he was like he does a, look old. He does. I mean, he was like a box to box midfielder, wasn't he? I know we look at his height and getting on the end of aerial set plays and things like that. But I mean, he's been there. He's been there for a few years now, hasn't he? Him and Rice were, were like the mainstays. Yeah. Um, he's he's not anymore, but. Uh, I was impressed with them at the weekend. I have to say, West Ham, I thought, uh, you know, fully deserved of your point. Declan Rice there, again, looked... Everyone was, of course, again, waxing lyrical about him. Paqueta seems to be amongst the goals again now. He, he, you know, they bought him to get goals and assists. He managed to get that at the weekend as well. And and defensively as well, you know, West Ham just looking a better place right now. Um, again, the, the, the rock and that tackle on Wilson was, was excellent. And I know Tim wasn't, as, as rightly points out, one win since October against Everton, but I think they have turned the corner, West Ham. I can see them going up the table now and I can see them finishing near mid-table. Yeah, a couple of things there. I mean, Suchek and Suchek and Rice were the difference makers for West Ham that pushed them towards that top six because they offered that great protection of, of whoever was playing at the back, but they also enabled those in front of them to, to do the job as well. I'm a bit more sided with Tim. I would describe it more as, a, as a, they've stopped the rot, George. Yeah, I think that's right. And it's really interesting to look at the the prices around West Ham at the moment because, you know, they're currently in 17th position on, on 19 points from 21 games. I mean, that is not good. And they're one one point above the relegation zone. But the, the prices paint a very different picture because they're 11 to 2 for relegation. They're 6 to 1 for a top half finish. So the idea that West Ham are going to go on, on, on the kind of run that's going to bridge that 10-point gap, I mean, I, I don't really see that. I think they've certainly... They've been one of those sides this season where the data has suggested they aren't necessarily as bad as the the results have been. But you know, from where I'm sitting now, they are still in in dire need of some quick points in the Premier League to make sure that when we get to the end of March, early April, they're still not shrouded in this relegation battle. Especially when you consider there's reason to believe that Everton and 18th are going to start picking up points at a much quicker rate than, than previously. We've seen the Wolves are much improved under their new manager. We don't know who Leeds are going to appoint. So with, with clubs around them instigating change, I don't think West Ham have much more time to stop the rot. I think they've, they've got to find that corner and turn it. Yeah, this just felt like the kind of game they might come alive in because Chelsea have got back-to-back nil-nils and for all their struggles, apparently this is third v fifth for goals conceded in the Premier League this season. Would you expect this to be one where West Ham go at it, George, or would you expect another drab affair? 
I think probably a drab affair, but mainly because of of both sides. I mean, I know it's ridiculous to look at Chelsea's um, sides at the moment and, and anticipate that they're going to be a boring watch. But what we're seeing at the moment from Graham Potter and his Chelsea side is is very much building from the back. I mean, it's a lot of possession in very, very deep areas, very safe on the ball without much attacking flair. I mean, we know that Mudrick obviously was poorly and, and came off at half time in their last game. Joao Felix, who we'll talk about in a second, is back from suspension. So definitely a, a sprinkling of stardust in terms of, of what they've got in the final third. But progressing the ball into the final third seems like it's um, the biggest difficulty they've got at the moment. So yeah, two sides who, despite a really poor season for each so far, have been defensively very sound. I think, again, it's going to be a game where where maybe a goal here or a goal there would get all three points. Yeah, Tim Joao Felix returning from suspension Feels like he's been out for so long now. That sending off feels like it was such a long time ago. He's back from his suspension, as I said. Could, could he spark Chelsea into life? I mean, where's where's he going to play? I mean, trying to guess the Chelsea team. He's like trying to guess the lottery numbers, I guess. I don't know, Dan. If, I'm not sure if one player can just come in and make such a difference. We're talking about systemic issues here in terms of how, how they progress the ball at field, like George has been saying, and how they create chances, where those combinations come from. There are a few sort of damning statements going around about Chelsea spending right now, but for George to just say they haven't got much attacking flair for, <laughs> for after spending half a billion, you know, it is, it is insane. And I do admire what Potter's trying to do in building from the back, and that's that's the right thing to do if they're going to stick with him and, and give him the rest of the season and a bit into next season to, to start making this click. But it, the, the whole thing's just in, it, absolutely insane, to be honest. Enzo Fernandez's quote before his debut last week, basically saying, I, I, I haven't played against any of my teammates. Um, I haven't had the chance to meet any of them yet, um, but I do know who they are. I mean, that, I mean, that, are they wearing like name tags or something? Is he having to look at the back of the shirts, you know, to, to double check what their names are? It's just, it's just crazy. When you look at that squad, it's arguably the most talented in the league now. But Potter's going to have to give them a little bit more in terms of progress in the next few weeks. I'm, I'm, I'm sure he will. I'm sure it'll start to click at some point. It's almost impossible that they've had a, a debutant in each of the last six matches. So they just need a bit of stability. Um, I do find it astonishing, I've got to say, that Hakim Ziyech played last week, yeah. days after they were more than happy to ship him off to Paris. It just kind of sums them up at the moment. And also, just in terms of, of what I said about the, the attacking flair, obviously that is like a stylistic issue rather than a, a, a personnel issue. But they do need... I mean, they've got in my mind, in Kovacic, who's, who was injured, of course, last weekend, and it looks like he might miss this as well. But in Kovacic and Enzo, they've got probably two of the best central midfielders in terms of progressing the ball through the lines in European football. Enzo's passing ability, we know that is basically his whole game, is his ability to pick up the ball and, and, and get it forward and, and find players in the final third who can, who can do, hopefully provide that attacking flair. And then Kovacic, who's ball carrying, he's so unique in the way that, yes, he can do it in, in his, with his passing ability, but he's also able to getting the, getting on the ball in deeper areas and progressing with it but before recycling it on. So they've definitely got the personnel to do this. It's just we haven't seen any evidence yet under Graham Potter at this stage that they are going to be able to turn what is a, a squad dripping with talent into an, an, an effective attacking unit. Yeah, I mean, they've made all these big signings as well, but Fafana from Mulder was coming off the bench in the, in the last game as well. You know, there's players coming in from all over. That's kind of building two teams, one for now and one for the future, but the ones from the future are coming on and making debuts as well. It's just, it is all bizarre at Chelsea. And Steve, I guess the bookmakers must be a really difficult one to gauge because you've just got no idea what's going to happen, I guess. No, it feels like Joe Felix is one of the longest serving players there and he's hardly, and he's only, he's only, played, about, he's only played about 57 minutes. Uh, yeah, I mean, they're twelve to one to finish in the in the top four, and twelve to one to finish in the bottom half. 
that's how crazy it is. So, you know, the same price to, to do that, which I find is, is quite an interesting, you know, subject. Clearly, our model thinks that, uh, well, it's, it's, it's clearly undecided of, of which way it's going to go. Two goals in the last seven matches they've got Chelsea, one against Palace, one against Forest. They've scored nine goals away from Stamford Bridge all season. And the best stat of all is the fact they haven't beat any of the top 10 at all this season. For, really? a side, for a side of Chelsea's quality, you're thinking, well, this is a bang average season. The last time they finished in the bottom half was 95-96 under Glenn Hoddle. And they're 12-1 to 1 to do that. I, I, this, is, this is a team of quality and you do expect them to get better as the season goes ahead with the players getting to know each other. But I wouldn't mind a little tickle of that trials myself, to be honest. I'd suggest probably neither of those things are going to happen and they'll just finish in, in the top half, but I wouldn't think top four or top six and I, I definitely wouldn't think bottom half. Next, we'll discuss both Manchester clubs as United face Leeds for the second time in four days and City welcome Aston Villa. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com courtside to learn more. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, Everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard it right. You can talk to a real human in customer service anytime. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask me. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. And Sancho again in! The Leeds lead extinguished! You're listening to the Weekend Preview here on the Athletic Football Podcast and it's Leeds v Manchester United next for us which is Sunday at 2 o'clock. It was a 2-2 draw on Wednesday night, Leeds 2-0 up before Marcus Rashford and Jadon Sancho scored for Manchester United. Leeds have of course sacked Jesse Marsh. Steve, the right decision? Yes, yeah I think so. Yeah for me, I mean the fans clearly had had enough, the away fans at Forest were were fighting between themselves, weren't they? And um, admittedly, you know, they lost the, a couple of key players in the summer in, in Kelvin Phillips and Rafina. That's going to be... That takes a lot away from your squad, doesn't it? But but you brought a lot of numbers in because um, under Bielsa, the squad was quite limited. As in numbers-wise, it was quite limited, wasn't it? He had, he, he had his favourite players and played them quite a bit. But I thought the quality that he brought in, I think Tyler Adams that he brought in, admittedly, you know, has probably been the player of the season for him so far. Sinistera has come in. I know he's going to be got injured again, didn't he, at Old Trafford? But um, Verber had, had, had looked decent as well. And whoever was responsible for the four million quid for Nonto, I think deserves a knighthood because he's he's yeah. been absolutely incredible at the moment, hasn't he? I know it's a very small sample, but everything that Leeds United positive seems to go through him. Uh, I know he tied a little bit in the second half at uh, at the City Ground, but it, it looks an absolute snip. And for him to score after a minute or so at Old Trafford the other night, obviously we paid out on Leeds as well because they went two nil up as well. 
But I just felt that the crowd had gone, the players had gone as well. And it, you know, do you they, think the players had gone? I, I would disagree with that because I think they were. You could see every week they were they were still playing his way. They were they were putting in a massive shift. Maybe it dropped a little bit in in recent weeks, but I felt like they they were still playing. I for thought him. it when dropped a little fa- bit. When you lose yeah. the fans, it's impossible. Yeah, it is, and 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 and, and that more than anything, Dan. Really, you know, the, the owners, you know, would have seen the board would have seen the last couple of you know away games that. And the home fans as well. Leeds United, you would think the fans at home this season, the remainder of the season will be key to whether Leeds United stay in the Premier League. Because when Ellen Road is bouncing, there's nothing more noisier than a, than a full Ellen Road. What are the odds, Dave, on, on them getting out of it? Or going yeah, down? Brilliant, yeah, brilliant result, of course, um, against United. They are fourth favourites now at 9-4 to four to be relegated. The two South Coast clubs, according to our odds, look doomed at 1-5 to five and 1-3 to three respectively. Big win for Everton, of course, uh, against Arsenal. They're eight to fifteen, eight to five to four. Then it's Leeds at nine to four, Forest eleven to four, Tim Spears eleven, Wolverhampton Wanderers eleven to two, um, and Aston Villa. No, you have to, to drop one. it. You need like they're in the mix. Fifty to one Aston Villa after that oh. surprise. After that surprise defeat against uh, Leicester City last week. Do you think, Tim, that Sean Dyche coming in at Everton and rejuvenating them? I know it was only one game, but they obviously went to our, sorry, they beat Arsenal one 0 which was a fantastic result and a great performance. Do you think that's almost that almost gave Leeds owners the, the, the push because you see another team having a change and having an impact, and when you've only won two in sixteen or whatever it was for Leeds, I do feel seeing another quite big team making that change when you're down there. I do think that would that would push me if I was an owner. I mean. You'd like to think not, Dan, to be honest. You know, once you've backed a manager with £70 million pounds yeah, that's weird, isn't it? in January, and then you're just seeing that, that Everton have won a match, so you're going to sack you're gonna sack your manager. Yeah, man, pretty too <laughs> Honestly, it's just... Like, okay, in today's mad football world, you know, it, it, it makes sense to sack Jesse Marsh, eight wins in 32. They're struggling, they might go down. But, you know, in reality, it just kind of shows how short-term and panicky owners get, can get and how... Premier League survival every single season is all is all that matters basically. You know, there's supposed to be a long long term appointment, and you know, given the players they've lost, like Steve said, and given that replacing Bielsa is such a tough ask and takes a few windows, I think to really, you know, he, he had such a he had such a distinctive style, and people say, oh, Marsh kind of didn't make too many changes. Well, he, well, he did. It was no, it was very did. different to what to what Bielsa did. Just because they run a lot, I think people kind of think that they're, they're, they're quite similar. But in reality, you know, if, if you're going to if you're gonna appoint someone to replace him and, and back them long-term, you've got to give them a few windows to do that. And if that if that means going down to come back up, then it's easy for me to say, but so be it really. Otherwise, you're just going to get stuck in a cycle like, like we're seeing with Everton where you're just changing your manager every single season just to stay up. You know, what do they do next? Do they bring in a firefighter? Do they bring in someone for the long-term again? Your mate Nuno, Tim, um, is going to be. <laughs> what are you laughing at? Oh yeah, they'll love. They'll, what are you laughing at? They'll love him. I'm telling you, it's Nuno. I've just spotted him outside Costa Coffee in Weatherby. He's in there. I've just, I, I just know. Yeah, yeah. You wait and see, Nuno. But it is crazy, you know. That you know what what West Ham must be thinking. I don't know. And you know they've they've given him a new assistant. You know, two weeks yeah, ago that's as well. So bizarre. Um, exactly. It, like I said, it was a tough act to follow Bielsa. I kind of saw the same following Nuno at Wolves, really. So. Not not just someone who's successful, but also like a real icon who's loved in the stands and loved in the whole city. It must be really hard to follow. But like I said, you, you need time to do that and, and, a, and a year 
isn't long enough. Yeah, everything they've done recently has been to suit the manager that they have as well. That's the strange thing. So unless they're going to go out and get someone who's a pretty a similar version of Jesse Marsh, which I'm not sure that there's anyone out there, even getting in American players, for example, I know that sounds quite simple, but that, that is that is what they've been doing. They've got this Red Bull model that they've had. The coach is the most bizarre one. What must he think? He's literally come in five minutes five minutes later and the, man, the manager's gone. It's just absolutely strange. But I understand why they've sacked him because of the pressures of, of, of relegation battle and that they weren't doing great. But I do feel a little bit sorry for him because I do think they weren't too far away and I think that will be what frustrates Jesse Marsh. Uh, Manchester United then, George. What, what did we make of them? Sloppy. I think, you know, this was a, a, a decent opportunity for them to, you know, with a game in midweek to close the gap on, on Arsenal to draw level with City. You know, I think it's important to remember you know, United were a, a drop-off in form from those top two to, to being right back in the title race. Um, a home game against Leeds, a rivalry between these two that hasn't really been sparked back to life despite Leeds' return to the Premier League. But certainly, you know, it's, it's still a big game for United fans. And to be t- a goal down within a minute, um, having been caught in possession, to then be caught in possession again, um, Garnacho maybe showing a bit of his own naivety with the with the second goal, just kind of failing to clear it once and then and then trying to dribble out of, out of trouble again before being caught. Yeah, I mean, Marcus Rashford with another goal that I'm pretty sure Marcus Rashford of, of 12 months ago wouldn't have scored. Brilliant leap and, and, a, and a really well-placed header. Yeah, I mean, it wasn't a great performance. They'll feel frustrated that they drop points uh, and they'll go to Leeds probably feeling less sure of a of a good result at Ellen Road than they would have done before. I mean, it, it feels to me quite simple that United are the third best team in the Premier League right now. Um, they're a little bit behind the top two uh, in terms of, of, of their quality. And I think they'll, they'll end up finishing third, which is a, a brilliant right. achievement in my eyes. Exactly. Yeah, I think Eric Tenag is, is doing far better than um, I personally thought it was a great appointment, a massive upgrade on what they've had previously. And yet, even I thought that the finishing top four this season would be a job uh, a job well done. So for him to still, you know, for it to be February and us talking about United loss being a dent to their slim title hopes um, is it shows how far he's taken them in a short space of time. I guess they were missing both central midfield players, Casemiro and Eriksen. They, they struggled to get control of the ball in the, in the first half and progress the ball a bit like we were talking about Chelsea. Manchester United struggled to do that without those two. And f- Although Sabitzer's uh, Sabitz no, ball... Nothing against the, um, him, but those two are a no, huge no, of miss. Course. Yeah, but yeah, yeah Casemiro's right. a massive... I think I saw that their, um, their PPG this season without Casemiro is 0.7 and it's 2.3 or something with him. Yeah, I mean, Sabitzer progressed the ball well for the, for the Rashford goal. And he's a good player, but you know, Casemiro's come in and changed changed the club. You know, he's had a transformative effect on on the team. Also, don't play Marcus Rashford right midfield, Eric Ten Hag. That's not his position. <laughs> I thought that was a bizarre thing to do. He's been in such scintillating form, and then to move him to the right, and then he moves back in inside and gets his goal in the second half. Don't play him on the right. That would be my advice to Eric Ten Hag if he wants it. Next, we're going to look at Manchester City against Villa, which is Sunday at 4.30. Now, of course, the possible sanctions against Manchester City are all over the news at the moment. And on Tuesday's episode here on the Athletic Football Podcast, our senior football news reporter, Matt Slater, explained the charges Manchester City face. Well, look, there's lots of charges, over 100. And and they kind of break down into sort of groups, really. Um, The first group is all around Manchester City not providing accurate reports of financial accounts. So they haven't been honest and transparent with the league. And that goes all the way back to season 2009-10 up to 2017-18. And in each of those seasons, there are about five or six breaches, all related to the same thing, that you have not provided 
accurate financial information that gives a true and fair picture of the club's financial position. And that, of course, is all related to the, we have to go all the way back to the Spiegel and the Football League stuff and the inflated sponsorships and uh, disguised costs. But it is all around you have not provided accurate accounts. And then we have another sort of set of uh, charges that are around uh, very specifically the Roberto Mancini allegations that uh, he had kind of a little bit of a side hustle going on, a contract with a club in Al Jazeera and some of his pay at Man City was being basically kind of topped up by this contract. And then the third group of charges is a bit technical. It's another thing that's in the Premier League handbook. You are not only just supposed to uh, follow all our rules, you're supposed to follow the FA's rules, FIFA's rules, UEFA's rules, and by not providing fair and accurate accounts, you have therefore breached UEFA's licensing system that you need to uh, follow to play in uh, the Champions League. So Pep's previously said he would walk if Manchester City were to be found guilty. We don't often get to do speculation like this on The Athletics, so this is going to be quite fun. If he was to go, I'm going to come to each of you, who would replace him? Tim, I'll come to you first. Uh, I mean, you say quite fun, but I, I don't think it'd be relevant, really. I, I don't see this getting sorted before he sort of naturally leaves the club It'd anyway. be a long one, won't it's, it? it's been a, what, a four-year investigation into into a time period that isn't even in the last decade. Um, started the year be- the decade before that. So I don't know, really. Um, I'm not sure it's going to have a massive impact on them short term anyway. And they've come. They've been very bullish and aggressive, and uh, as you'd expect, and they'll they'll flatly deny an appeal. And they've hired extremely uh, wealthy and intelligent yes, lawyers already to to fight this case. Some of the but fans would... treating the lawyer like a new signing. <laughs> yeah, they were, <laughs> yeah, they were on social media, weren't they? Chelsea have put a bid in for him, apparently. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, I'm, I'm not sure it'll be relevant, Dan. I think that this is going to go on for years. Okay. I've got two names, Dan. I've got two. Go names. on, Mikel yeah. Arteta for one, oh. and uh, Luis Enrique. He wasn't the second name I was anticipating. I've no, no, Vincent Company with the name. Yeah, I don't, I don't, well, well, I know Georgia go for Vincent Company, so I was going to go. That's to something true. I, I would have gone for as well. I think Company will be the next city manager um, because if it's in the summer, that means something's happened in terms of maybe a points deduction, which means that he'd probably get it. And if it happens in a couple of years' time, then. It'll be the natural progression by then because he he has got it. Whatever it is, he is uh, yeah, a really impressive manager. He's got that EFL experience as well. Which is needed these days, Dan. To be successful in the Premier League, you need to come from the well, EFL, not, as we all know. Um, not, there might but be he's, you know, I, I, Yeah, that's true. <laughs> he hasn't got any League 2 experience, though. But yeah, I mean, company, I think, is yeah, arguably the most exciting manager we've seen come through the EFL in the kind of yeah, seven or eight years. I I've been, there was a, there was a clip in the wake. Did you say it? Of him giving his talk Which to one? his players on on social media, I saw it. He was, I think, yeah. it must have been when he first arrived, just talking through his mentality and his in the way he likes to play football. I thought, to be honest, I was mesmerised by it. And it is if you you know if you haven't seen Burnley play yet, I remember first. I mean, I'm, I'm not. There are two games that stand out in my mind where you watch a team and you're like, whoa. And one of them was like Pep's first game against Sunderland, I think, in the Premier League. And suddenly you, you saw the inverted fullbacks, everything. It was like, what's going on here? Leeds' first game under Bielsa in the Championship. And then Burnley's first game this season again. It was just like this is a this is a really clear style of play of one manager that we don't necessarily normally see. You know, it's very possession heavy. It's very high press, but also 
what we don't necessarily see from Pep and what he didn't learn from Pep is that he gives complete creative freedom to the flair players in the final third. So you've got basically a, a bank of possession-based defenders and midfielders and then suddenly three playing across the front who can do whatever they like with it. And um, the recruitment's been top class as well. He's, yeah, I mean, I'm sure he's destined for the top of the Premier League and where else would he go apart from City? Yeah, and I'm going to stay with you, George, because I don't want to go to the other two for this. Villa, woeful at defending against <laughs> Leicester, which brings Emery's honeymoon period to an end. In my mind, that's, that, that has, isn't what's happened. The honeymoon period's still going for me. I absolutely love the man. But the defending was woeful against Leicester. Dan, the honeymoon doesn't mean you stop loving the other the other person in the relationship. That's not how it works. You know, the, the marriage continues. It's just the honeymoon's over. You realise uh, yeah. that there, you know, the, the other person's got a couple of faults. You, you know, you move on. You're still in love. I don't think Emery's got the father. I don't think I wouldn't put those faults certainly <laughs> in the game on Emery. In, 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 in all honesty, marriage guidance is it? Yeah, yes, yeah. 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 <laughs> <laughs> I just love the idea that the honeymoon period isn't over. I still love him. It's like that's a you know, bleak, a bleak view of um, yeah of, of, of Holy Union. Yeah, it's. Uh, I mean, Dan, you 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 can tell us, but it looked to me like it was individual defensive lapses rather than anything in terms of the actual system itself. And you still look pretty dangerous going forward. Yeah, well, I've, when Villa have lost games under Emery, I've still managed to see what they are doing, which is I could not see under Steven Gerrard when they were losing games. So even that feels like an achievement this season because I watched some absolute rubbish under the previous manager. But even when Villa lose, they're losing with a little bit of, of style now. Look, they got all their mistakes out of the way in one game, I hope, because if they try anything like that against Manchester City, they'll get absolutely annihilated. But I didn't know this ne- This next bit. Emery's record against Pep is not pretty. Play 12, 1-0, drawn 4 Lost eight, Tim. Right. So how how confident are you feeling, Dan? Well, <laughs> I was probably at about twenty percent. I'm probably now at ten after after reading that. I because I, I was just thinking Emery's got a good record against going to these elite teams and having a game, specific game plan for for these games in Europe. So surely he'll do the same for Villa against Villa against City. But yeah, that record. I tell you what, great. City are really fallible at the moment. Yeah, true. I mean, since the World Cup, I think they played seven games. They've lost. They've lost two. Uh, they lost that one to Brentford, of course, just before the World Cup. They had that disappointing result against Everton. I've seen them a couple of times in the last couple of weeks against against Spurs, and yeah, pretty disappointing actually. They had that comeback against Spurs in the second half to being two 0 down. But last weekend, I thought Spurs had a decent game plan and and showed some really good aggression and, and pressing in key areas. But but City just had no answer to be honest. And for Haaland not to have a shot, I think it's the first time in almost in more than two years that he's not had a shot since when starting a game. He didn't have a touch in the um, box, Tim. All games, amazing, isn't it? No, no, he didn't. Um, he Romero, Romero did a good number on him um, before he got sent off. So yeah, I, I, I do think they'll win this weekend, but they look really, they look really weak to me at the moment. I, I, I definitely think it's Arsenal's title for the taking. If Arsenal can beat them once in their in their two matches, I, I think it's their league to be honest. Because City just. Um, just falling a bit short at the moment. Yeah, and Steve, talking about Villa making defensive mistakes, City keep getting caught on the ball and conceding goals as well at the moment, don't they? That's, I feel like that happens every week at the moment where they get pressed and they give the ball away cheaply and, and the team scores off it. Yeah, I don't think Edison's having a great season by his normal very high standards. And I just think he's. we often question Pep overthinking things team selection-wise, yet that team selection he put out against Spurs, I don't know what you thought, Tim. Were you surprised when you when that team dropped, the City team? He just think he didn't think about it at all. You know, I, I'm, we're not used to seeing KDB on the bench, are we? And Yeah. No, I couldn't believe he didn't play. And I, and I can't believe they got done by the press again because it was literally two, two weeks earlier that, that Spurs had pressed high um, and won the ball back a couple of times just outside the box. And that's exactly what happened again. And, you know, for players of their quality and the manager of Pep's 
experience and tactical knowledge, you, you, yeah, you expect better. Yeah, not the same animal Manchester City at the moment than they've been over the last few years. We're going to finish this game with some trivia. So three of the Premier League's top five appearance makers have played for both Manchester City and Aston Villa. So this is the first part of the question. Can you name those three players? So I'll let you all go for a player each. Tim, I'll come to you first. I'll go Gareth Barry. Easy. Gareth Barry. Oh. I haven't looked at the answers, but I, I know. Gazbaz. Gazbaz, yeah. Albion legend. Yeah. Go, go on, George. You look like you're struggling. I'll come to you next. Yeah, I was. I was yeah, cheers for that. Um, Pitch Michael? No, I don't think that's right. Yeah, I know. I but I'm, right. I'm on the spot now. I haven't got the answers so. in front of me, but I would say it's David James is one. Yeah. You're not coming gonna, to me. I'm coming to you. I've took yeah. George's because George got it wrong, and now I'm coming to you for the third one, Steve. That's how it works. I, I had David James. Oh, did you? No, I, 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 <laughs> the next one's it. The next, but the one I've left. I thought you'd have more chance of getting the one I've left. Richard Dunn. Honest, Richard Dunn. Is he? No. No. Not there. Miles no, off. No, Again, no. I don't need James Milner. I'm oh, sorry. I've got uh, Mil- yeah, I've course. got Milner here. Yeah, Milner and yeah. Uh, okay. Oh, do you? <laughs> yeah, I'm a shit. Uh, to, to be honest, I can say. To be honest, he probably <laughs> read Milner as Dunn with his writing. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> right, so that's yeah. three. I believe those three. That three. Those three are right. I haven't actually looked at the answers because I don't want to spoil the next. I'm just checking who's uh, played more Premier League games: Peter Schmeichel or Richard Dunn. So you win between me and uh, me and Steve. In the relegation dogfight, the quiz relegation. Yeah, dogfight. exactly. Right. So then the other two then obviously haven't played for Villa and Man City. Can anyone name the name the other two? I'm struggling to be Gigsy. honest. So what is it? Three gigs, yeah. obviously. Yeah. Obviously, gigs. Who's the fifth one, but Lampard. Speed. No, the, uh, Speed's not a bad shout. I'm gonna. I'm gonna look at the answers now. Speed is a good shout, I reckon. Oh no, we've done. He's done us again. Frank Lampard. I said Lampard. Yeah. Oh, did you? I didn't hear you. Sorry, Steve. Yeah, I did. Yeah, just. You must be. Look, I've got. I've got them all written down here. Look. <laughs> look. Look. Hold on. Does that say there? Lamella. Milner. Oh, okay. Milner, Barry, Lampard. You got done there as well. I have got done there, admittedly. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, I have got oh, done. Yeah. We'll be back with another quiz <laughs> next week. Also, next, we'll have a little break now. After that, we'll look at the Merseyside Derby. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7, US-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. Right then, before we continue with the podcast, please remember that if you are going to have a bet this weekend, make sure that you do so responsibly. George, you've got some helpful tips on how to make sure that we do just that. Yeah, it's important to us that the listeners of this podcast are in control of their gambling. This is a podcast for those who are 18 years of age and older. Please ensure that you are only staking what you can afford to lose and do visit BeGambleAware.org for any information to ensure that you're gambling responsibly.
This is the weekend preview here on the Athletic Football Podcast and we're going to look now at Liverpool against Everton, the Merseyside derby on Monday night football. Tim, what would defeat mean here for, for Jurgen Klopp? Most of the managers would be under a hell of a lot of pressure right now. I, th- I think they're having an absolutely shambolic season, I've got to say. I, you know, the defending against, I mean, full credit to Wolves who, who played some really good football last week, but my first thought when watching those goals was what on earth are Liverpool doing here? That is amateur defending, I, uh, particularly at the start of the game as well. You know, you're looking for a reaction. All the messages he's given them in the dressing room are just out the window after, after saying Wolves could have been turning up after two or three minutes. And then... Uh, it's just not what you expect from a Liverpool team. I think they've completely gone, to be honest. And it's just a case of struggling through the rest of the season. I don't see any form coming from anywhere. I don't see any goal scorers. Salah's got one in eight since the World Cup, and that was offside against Wolves. Shouldn't have stood. There was a nice little uh, graphic doing the rounds in the WhatsApp groups this week about um, their top scorer since the World Cup is, is Wout Faze with yeah. two. So, yeah, um, feels like he's coming to the end for me. And I think I think a few more questions over his future will um, will certainly come up in the next few weeks if he can, if the right reporter asks them in the, in the press conference. Oh, they they, 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 they can't. Um, <laughs> James Pearce will be back on it. Don't worry, he'll be asking those questions. Um, yeah, this feels like a really tough test from nowhere, really, against Everton now. I, I think it's one of the worst games that Liverpool could have. Terrible timing. Um, terrible timing. Uh, Everton's best chance of, properly winning a game at Anfield in a long time. I know they won in the pandemic season, but it doesn't really count. The fact that Villa could overtake Liverpool this weekend just just says it all, really. They're, uh, they're having a nightmare. God, if you'd have told me that at the start of the season, going into in, in February, Villa are going to overtake Liverpool, potentially, I'd be thinking, what's going on here? Come on, Villa, league league champions. What's, hap- what's happened here? But obviously, You've got to beat City first, happening. though. Easy, easy, George. As, as you've seen, that record speaks for itself. <laughs> and since the resumption of the Premier League following the World Cup break, Darwin Nunes has had more shots, 22, and shots on target, 10, without scoring than any other player in the competition, Steve. There's a staggering numbers. Although, to be fair, we talked about adaptation periods early. You know, Nunes, Gakpo, they're playing for a completely different Liverpool side here. It's not the Liverpool side it's been over the last few years. So you kind of, I think they need to be laid off a little bit. Yeah, yeah. Social media loves it, doesn't it? When Darwin Nunes comes on, has about six shots during a game, not many on target, just erratic. He's just in a side at the moment that that we've all touched on, really, that are just struggling. Even the great Mo Salah, whether it's his big multi-million pound contract weighing him down. The fact that he's four Premier League games without a shot on target, for him, someone of his ability, he's just he's just mind-blowing. We talked about Gakpo. Obviously, Jota's coming back, Van Dijk's coming back, so so that will be good. I think, Dan, the biggest question mark is defensively. This historically is a team that just haven't conceded very many goals over over recent seasons. They've conceded 19 on the road this season, which is, which is more than Everton. So they want Virgil van Dijk fit. They've got the big game against Real Madrid coming up. Talks of Nat Phillips playing in this game against against Everton to deal with to deal with uh, Kelvin Lewin. You know that's what that's what Liverpool fans are talking about at the moment. But they've allowed sixty three big chances defensively this season. For a, that's over three a game for a side of Liverpool's quality is absolutely astounding. That's the second most in the division. So and they're conceding. Look at all the early goals that they're conceding. They're just chasing the game all the time. So it's it's a worry. However, saying that they're twenty five to one to finish in the bottom half. Now, whenever I mention that to anybody, I think their ears prick up and thinking, how can this yeah, Liverpool side currently in wherever they are in the division, currently in 10th or, or wherever they are, how can they be 25 to 1 to finish in the in the bottom half? But that's where they are. Our, our model clearly still thinks that Liverpool have a chance of finishing in the top four. They're only 4 to 1 
to finish in the top four. They are going off very short on match prices. So the match prices and the model, all the algorithms and everything like that, still think that Liverpool are capable of putting a run together. However, the eye test says definitely not. No, I mean, we're all football fans. Obviously, we all support a team. And I'm sure at games, we've all sat there at some point watching our team and thinking, what on earth is going on here? Like, what do, what do they do in training all week? How, how is this happening? That's Liverpool fans at the moment. It's just unexplainable, the drop-off and how bad they are when we think about where they were this time last year. I mean, Salah, you mentioned him earlier, Steve. He hasn't been good for 12 months now. He hasn't been he, really, realistically, he was he was off form at the back end of, of last season. He set himself very, himself very high standards. But Liverpool, they just look all over the place at the moment. And when, when a young kid's coming into the midfield and he's really just doing the basics of football and people are talking about him like he's Liverpool's best player, that tells you everything you need to know. From McNeil. This has been a performance full of heart, full of energy, full of endeavour. A Sean Dyche performance. Everton potentially have turned a corner and it was a Dwight McNeil corner for James Tarkovsky that got Dyche the three points in his first game against Arsenal. There was something quite nice about that, wasn't there, George, that the players that were involved in the goal, for the manager at least? Yes, I thought it was one of my favourite things that's happened this season was that it was two former Burnley players combining from a set piece in order to give Dyche uh, his first three points. And, you know, I, I think we got what we probably expected to get from Dyche uh, in terms of being... A side who were very direct, they adopted kind of a a bit of a press from a low block. It was it was pretty similar to what we we saw with him at Burnley previously, and it was pretty effective. You know, they created I think they had twelve shots to Arsenal's fifteen in the game. They made Arsenal look pretty ordinary. You know, Arsenal fans may say it was a bad day in the office for them, but I think you got to credit Dyche and his side for for making Arsenal look pretty poor. So couldn't have got off to a better start. I think for them. To get that three points, it means they can go to Anfield. With a, you know, they're still in the relegation zone, so let's not pretend that it's a, it's a free hit. But having got that three points, you know, you think that this game is is just a massive bonus now. The Dice um, start is underway, so yeah, I personally think that they will get out of this mess pretty quickly under Dice, um, and and that's bad news for the, for the other teams around them. And it feels like the perfect time for them to to play Liverpool now because it hasn't been very. Often in recent seasons that Liverpool fans have gone to gone to Anfield dreading hosting Everton, um, but I think this weekend might be the first time that's been the case for a while. Yeah, it was. There was something almost David Moyes-ish about it as well, wasn't? Wasn't their team? It felt like Everton went back to what they used to be good at when they were a good Premier League outfit pushing towards the top six. Pretty basic football in some ways, but that was what made Everton a hard team to play, and it was always a hard place to go. And Arsenal found that. Yeah, they did. They did find them really hard to play against. I mean, Zinchenko was was shut down. The midfield was shut down. Party and Odegaard both got subbed off. You know that can't happen too often. So um, it was yeah, it was basics, and it, it does feel like a dice team already, and not just Tarkowski and Neil, but you know, someone like Connor Cody and Sean Dice. I'd be astonished if they don't have an absolutely fabulous working relationship already, to be honest, because they're just made for each other. And yeah, players like Coleman. Calvert-Lewin, Decore, they they feel like dice players to me. You know, it's a shame James Rodriguez still isn't at Everton because that 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 would be an interesting <laughs> dynamic. But but otherwise, you know, it it does feel quite dicey. You can just see a few rabble rousing, tight home wins like we saw with Lampard towards, towards the end of last season. Like George says, this is a bit of a free hit, and then they've got a huge game against Leeds next weekend, which is when we'll I think we'll we'll really see how good they can be and how and how dice can get them going. So, yeah, I, I do think they'll be fine. There are other teams I'm more worried about now in terms of relegation, which is crazy, really, because a couple of weeks ago they looked 
<laughs> it was the, it was the apocalypse on and off the pitch, yeah. and they looked like relegation certs. And then you know, one change in comes a man who knows what he's doing, and all of a sudden, you know, even though they're still in the bottom three, I think most people would favour them to stay up now. This could be the first season for quite a while that a team needs forty points to stay in the division. Because I know 19 and 20, the spot looks to be between Bournemouth and Southampton right now. But with Everton seemingly on the up, West Ham possibly, Leeds a new manager, Wolves, Leicester, Forest on the up as well. 12th spot, Crystal Palace with 24, with 24 points. I think they're looking over their shoulders right now. Um, so we're only 13 to 8 that you need 40 or point, 40 points or more from the, the team that finishes in 18th. So the last team to survive needing 40 points were actually Wolves in 2011 when they were a few minutes away from being relegated and a Birmingham City team I don't know if you remember that when uh, they scored a late I'll never forget it Steve yeah Stephen Hunt got one let me tell you I remember it very well as well yes yeah. what, what, did Bulls actually reach for, did they reach 40 they got 40 points, points I think yeah Blues got 39 and uh, Stephen yeah he lost 3-2 to Blackburn and I think Wolves got Wolves got 40 points that season and no, I remember. I, I, I don't know. I thought we were on 39 for some reason. Well, yeah, yeah, that was... That was and, um... then, and then West Ham got went down with 42 in 2003. So this feels like 19th and 20th spot could be between the two South Coast sides. But we're thinking that with the teams with a good window and finding a bit of form, that it could be quite a, an exciting end of season for that 18th spot. I mean, it was a year ago, but I told you Southampton would go down. I knew it. <laughs> I knew that was coming. Incidentally, who would you all pick as that third team? I think it, I think it's tough. I think you would take Southampton and Bournemouth as verbatim at, at the moment, unfortunately for them. But that third team, it's difficult, Tim. I think you're looking at you're looking at Leeds unless they make an inspired appointment. I think they'll be right down there. To, I think Leeds is squad's good enough if they get the appointment right. I really think there's some good players. I think you can there. say that about any squad, yeah, though, to be honest, George. I think looking at the the three six five prices, I think Leicester would be the team I'd back at nine to two. So I've been saying it all season. I, I know they'd be. Philip 4-2 but I think there are still big concerns in terms of of their form over the course of the whole season uh, and they're still only three points clear of the of the drop zone as it stands and, yeah. and, and possibly Everton 11-2 to I still think those are the two overpriced ones like, there's no way in my mind that Forest should be 11-4 to and, and, and West Ham should be 11-2 to when, when Forest have a five-point head start on them from this stage Yeah, Leicester would be mine as well I wouldn't read too much into them beating Villa the, the other day in all honesty because I do think it, it was gifted gifted to them Villa, Villa were just poor but I think most teams will you know you look at their home form and you think it will get them through. I do think Leicester struggle to play at home a bit. The atmosphere is not great at the moment. Things are a bit tetchy between Rodgers and the crowd, the players and the crowd. It just doesn't all feel unified. And I do think Madison struggled for durability pretty much the whole season, really. If they lose him, they're devoid of any creativity. So Leicester would be the ones for me that I would probably back at the moment, Steve. I'm struggling. I really, I really... You've got to pick one, Steve. You've got to pick one. Oh, I've, I've got so much loyalty to so many of the teams down there. You know me. What? Uh, you, can't, you can't have a lot. Why? I'm joking. Uh, yeah. Nathan Jones pulls it out the fire. Southampton... No, South, wow. South, yeah. He won't be there. He oh, won't be there. Come on, I'm his biggest fan. You know that. I think it will be Bournemouth, Leeds and Villa. Even you don't believe that, Steve. <laughs> no, I don't. You, no. you don't but believe that. Nathan, Nathan Jones keeping Slampton up from now would be one of the greatest sporting narratives to have happened in years. Nathan Jones keeping his Slampton job fans. from now would be one of the, the greatest sporting <laughs> narratives in years. He's just, he's, yeah, got, he's, I mean, it's a matter of weeks until the Southampton look in front of the new manager, in my opinion. It's, it's a, I mean, I'm, I'm a huge fan of his as a manager. Anyone who thinks that he's a mug um, needs to go and, Read up about what he's done at Luton. Oh, I agree. But this is but this isn't a job. You don't have to read up about it. Just, he was, he was telling, telling everyone yeah. who'd listened. Oh, well, that's way. true. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but um, 
Yeah, I mean, it's a match made in hell, isn't it, if we're honest? It starts um, this week, yeah, Georgie. The turnaround, I don't know who they've got this week, but they definitely <laughs> win yeah, this week. I, I, don't know, I don't know, Tim, who they've got this week, but Southampton will win. <laughs> I, I don't know why you're trying to roll me. I'm, I'm not worried in the slightest. <laughs> no, I, don't, I, I really don't think you should be, Tim. I think yeah. Wolves are absolutely fine. Wolves are looking up now. In of course, opinion, they are. With the new they are. That, yeah, they are. The Wolves Very good. Very good manager. So those are our feature games to look out for this weekend with the full Premier League fixture list looking a little something like this. It gets underway on Saturday at 12.30 with Chelsea travelling to West Ham. That's followed by five three o'clocks including league leaders Arsenal against Brentford, Fulham Forest, Leicester welcoming Tottenham as well as Crystal Palace against Brighton and Southampton against Wolves, Steve. Southampton are playing Wolves of course as you know. Sunday sees that return game of Leeds v Manchester United before City take on Villa with the Merseyside derby rounding off the weekend on Monday night. Steve, just before we move on to the six-score challenge, there is a derby game this weekend. It's Brighton v Palace. What's the markets looking like for that one? Yeah, well, since since Brighton have come back into the into the Premier League, Crystal Palace have, have, have usually finished above them, except for last season where Brighton finished above them. And, and this season, they're already 10 points clear. The fact that Brighton now are even money to win at Crystal Palace just goes to show the gulf in these two teams currently. Historically, I think four of the last six have finished one-all draws. I think Brighton can go there, win the game. And I do think Palace at a double-figure price to be relegated. I think that could be a spot of value. I, I fear for Crystal Palace. Yeah, Brighton, of course, you know, if they, if they get Europe, that's one hell of a story from where they've come from, Brighton. That would be absolutely fantastic to see. And, and well done to everyone at Brighton because they just continue to bruise teams in the Premier League. Before we do go, as I said, Steve, it's over to you for the six-score challenge. Confession time, I forgot to do it last week. I do apologise, but I'm pretty sure we wouldn't have won anyway. In all seriousness, now there were some, some tough scores last week and the million pound is is still very much up for grabs with consolation prizes, of course, cash prizes for the free-to-play game for 3, 4 and 5. So we're going to start with you, George, with Arsenal-Brentford. Ooh, really tough game this for Arsenal, isn't it? 1-0, home win. Okay, Crystal Palace-Brighton? Uh, 1-3, away win. Okay, Timothy, Bournemouth-Newcastle? Blimey, 0-2. Um, Leicester-Spurs? 3-1 Spurs. Why not? Okay, and Dan, coming to you finally. Leeds, Manchester United? 1-1. Okay, and Manchester City versus Aston Villa? Can I not have Villa? Why do I always have to have Villa? Uh, I will go for 3-1 to Manchester City, unfortunately. Okay, I'll text you Manchester shortly. Manchester City Dan, won't lose consecutive forget. games. They just won't. Do you think? I think Villa, I think Villa get a draw there. Honestly, I love, I, love, I love it, Steve. I'm, I'm all for that, but I, I can't, I can't see it. And if I come on a podcast and predict Villa to win at City or draw at City, everyone will be hammering me. So I'm, I'm not prepared to do that. <laughs> if they win, it'll be a pleasant surprise for me, and I'll have a wonderful Sunday. Chappers is going to be back on Monday here on the Athletic Football Podcast. But until then, enjoy your weekend, enjoy all the football, and thanks ever so much for listening. The Athletic. <laughs>